Turn with me while they're leaving to Deuteronomy 10. We are gonna to, we're going to attempt to cover 10, the rest of 10 and 11 today. So uh, without further ado, let's get on here so we can get done at a decent hour and not cut into small group time. We saw last week what the law was, and we explained that we better understand what the purpose of the law was if as going if because when we go forward and we see all these laws, if you don't understand the function of the law, you're going to get really bogged down. You're going to miss it. You're going you're gonna to have a hard time with what we see really through chapter 26 of Deuteronomy if you don't get this thing straight. Number one, the law was a revelation. We said it was a revealing God's character. God, in His great love, He revealed His character to His people, Israel, through the law. If they were going to be His people, they had to represent Him in their doings and their dealings, and the law was that representation. The problem was what the law also did was reveal that they were sinners, that they could not represent God. And that was the purpose of the law. Here's, here's what I'm like. Here's what holiness looks like. Here's what separation looks like. Israel would have found out real quick, we don't measure up. That's the point. You don't measure up. But the law was good. Sin Taking advantage of the law made it bad. The law was good. God gave the law as a gift. And that brings us to the third thing we said about the law. The law gave an expectation for a Savior. Deuteronomy 18.15, Deuteronomy 15.18 there, um, God was very clear, I'm going to send a Savior who will perform the law on your behalf. He will be righteous on your behalf. What the law required was righteousness. What it, what it could have offered if somebody... Per, theoretically could have kept it was righteousness. You can't because you're unrighteous. God in His mercy sent His Son to be righteousness, to give us His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might be the righteousness of God. That is the gospel. The gospel is taking a bunch of unrighteous people and offering them righteousness. Offering them righteousness. Because God is righteous. And we need a Savior. We needed somebody to do the law perfectly. James 2.10 says, If you break one small, even the smallest part of the law, you break the whole law. You're guilty of breaking it all. So it's not a, measure, it's not a matter of being good or bad, better or worse. It's a matter, here's the qualification. You're either perfect or you're not. It's not I'm good or better than that person. Are you perfect? If you cannot answer, yes, I'm perfect, you have a big problem. You fall short of God's standard. And God in His grace sent His Son to be perfection on our behalf. And by faith, we apply that to our lives. The natural question for that becomes, okay, Chris, if the law says I can't obey it and can't be perfect, then why even try? And that's what I want, that's what Moses immediately addresses today in chapters 10 and 11. Why the law? Why even try? If obedience doesn't save us, if I can't be saved through my obedience, and I'm saved by grace, if I've already been declared righteous and I've been saved, why obey? Good question. Moses answers that question. And what he tells us here, overall, here's the overarching principle. Our life of obedience is a response to God's grace. We're responding to God's grace. Why we pursue obedience, why do we seek to obey, is because we're responding to grace. 
God has declared me to be righteous and to be his son. He's adopted me. And by grace, because of the grace he gives, I live up to that calling. I seek to reflect the character of my father through how I live. Israel was in a privileged position to have been chosen by God to be his people. It was all of grace. And you and I are in the same position. It's all of grace. And because of that grace, we seek to honor our king. Because we've been chosen by our king, we seek to honor our sovereign or our king. That's obedience, but it's responding. It's not earning. It's not twisting his arm. It's not trying to buy his grace. It's because I have been lavished upon in his grace. He has lavished grace upon me. And so my response to that is I follow him. My, my response to that is I seek to honor Him. I seek to glorify Him. That's where obedience comes in. In my seeking to honor, I'm seeking to honor the one who has honored me. We are responders to grace. Not earners, but responders. So how, I, first I want to look real quickly at how this looked in Israel's life, but then I want to make sure we bring it home to our life. So the first thing we see here in verses 10 in chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, we looked through chapter 11 yesterday, last week, and I just kind of summed that up. But we obey because God commands our allegiance, and it is for our good. Please don't miss that. We obey because God commands our allegiance, and it is for our good. Look at me at chapter 10, verse 12 and 13 of, of Deuteronomy. Now, Israel, what does the Lord require? What does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him, to serve the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and His statutes, which I am commanding you today, for your good. Why did God command them for their good? Why do you command for your children for their good? Why do you tell them, do this, don't do that? For their good. It's for their good. You see, I, I'm wiser, barely, than my two children. My wife is even wiser than me. In our wisdom, we give them things. We tell them, do this, don't do that, for their good. God, in His infinite wisdom and love, is commanding them, do this, don't do that, for their good. And this is the heart of the covenant here. What God is seeking is allegiance. What He's seeking is loyalty from His people. He's worthy. And He's saying, follow me, I'm loyal, I'm, I'm worthy. These are fundamental attitudes, what Moses says here. These are fundamental attitudes towards God that result in actions. Our attitudes towards God will not be separated from our actions towards God. You cannot say, I love Him with all my heart, and then you don't follow Him. Because actions follow attitudes. And that's what Moses is saying. If you really love Him, if you fear Him... And you'll what? You'll serve Him. You'll follow Him. And you cannot separate attitude and action. If you separate attitude from action, you become legalistic. That was the Pharisees. It was just a meaningless bunch of things that they did, and the heart was not behind it. They did all the right things, but they didn't have a heart. Matthew 10, 10 verse Eight there says this people honor me or fifteen eight sorry this people honor me honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me you know what he says he says your worship is vain you cannot separate your heart from the action but at the same time you can't separate action from attitude because that results in unfruitfulness go to go to go to James faith without works is dead it's useless it's unfruitful 
John 15, God has come that we would bear fruit. Our job is to bear fruit. You cannot separate obedience from the heart either. Someone that says again, I love God, but they pursue a life that is in opposition to that, you're lying to yourself. That's God's words, not my words. You can't separate action and attitude. Believers, a true believer, will want to do God's will. Even for you and I, He has put the Spirit inside of us to make sure that happens. We'll want to. And what Moses is saying is that loving obedience to the Lord is the key to every blessing. Loving obedience. Not just obedience, loving obedience. And and verse 13 makes that very clear. Love the Lord and then obey Him. That is the key to everything. But they had to trust it from the heart. The point was you have to love the Lord from the heart. Moses in that section, he uses the word love Six times, he uses the word heart five times. Everything flows out of the heart. You can go to Matthew um, 15 later on. He says, um, what goes into a man's mouth doesn't defile a man, but what comes out of a man's mouth, that defiles a man. Why? Because it's a reflection of the heart. For out of the heart flows evil thoughts and murders and adulterers and fornications and all these things. The issue is the heart. That's why he tells them, circum- later on he's going to say, hey, it's not about the flesh, you need a circumcised heart. Jeremiah 31, 31, God is going to give you a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, God is going to give you a new heart. What did Jesus come? He says to give a new heart. My problem is a heart problem. And God desires, what Moses is teaching them is that God desires more than external obedience. He desires to be loved from the heart. It starts with the heart. And when we love God, serving Him will not be a burden, but a blessing. When we love the people of God, serving the people of God will not be a burden, but the blessing. The issue is never with God. The issue is with His people and their hearts. And that's what Moses is getting to. And it was true then, and it's true today. The reason why we, even as believers sometimes, can it may be bigger than this, but turn our backs on opportunities and the things of the Lord is because we have a heart problem. We don't love the Lord the way that we should. But when we love Him, obedience will be a blessing, not a burden. You, you can look all throughout the New Testament as well. Mo, uh, in Ephesians 4, the Christian life was compared to a walk. We're in a walk with the Lord. And we are to walk worthy. Walk in a manner, Ephesians 4, 1. Walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. That's what Moses is saying here. Israel, you've been chosen as the people of God. Walk in a manner worthy of that calling. You know what, Mo, uh, whoever that is, Paul. Paul says in Ephesians 4, I don't mean that, forgive me, I don't mean that tritely. I'm trying to work through these authors in my mind. Paul is saying in Ephesians 4 is, you've been called, set apart, chosen, lavished much grace for three chapters Paul tells them exactly what God has done. In the first thing in chapter 4, you have a change. Now it's a response. You know what he says? In view of everything that God has done, walk worthy. For 11 chapters in Romans, Paul tells all the things that God has done. You know what he says in chapter 12? Walk worthy. Walk worthy. He says, walk worthy. Obey. Follow your master. 
And, and our walk involves a balance between faith and works, between character and conduct, between worship and service, between time alone and time together, between separation from this world and then going into the world to save them. It's a balance. But it comes with maturity and growing in the Lord. And He's saying, love me. And He's saying, obey me because I command your allegiance, but ultimately it's for your good. And I have commanded this for your good. That's why we obey. Secondly, we obey because God's character invites us to obey and our obedience reflects His character. God, God's character, His goodness, how good He is invites us to obey. When we see that, you see the Scripture says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. His character invites us to obey. But also our obedience is a reflection of His character. Look in Verses 14 through 22, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. He had everything. Everything was His. And look what He says. Yet, verse 15, out of all of that, yet on your fathers did the Lord set His affection to love them, and He chose their descendants after them, even you above all the peoples, as it is this day. The response to that, verse 16, the response, So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien. For you were aliens in the land. That sums up the whole... You know why he says show, a, show love for the alien? Because you were aliens. You know why he says show love for the orphan? Because you were orphans. My obedience is simply a reflection of everything that I've received from God. God never ever commands you and I to do anything that he first did not do for us. Everything that He commands you and I to do is a reflection of what we have already received from the Lord. See, that, that's a wonderful king, a wonderful master. The character of our master is this. I'm not telling you to do anything that I haven't already done on your behalf. It's a reflection of His character. He says, love the alien because you are alien. You shall fear the Lord your God, serve Him, cling to Him. And, and swear by His name alone, He is your praise and your God who has done these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. He's saying, he's saying everything revolves around God's character, but it's first what He has done for us. Out of all creation, He chose Israel. Respond to that, Israel. That's what Moses is saying. He could have chosen anyone. By the way, he's saying, Israel, if he hadn't have chose you, you would not even have been a nation. He's going to, in a minute, show his past. He took a nation of nobodies, and now there are two million plus people there, all because of God's grace. All because of God's grace. And it's interesting, Moses references circumcision here. Interesting fact. And he compares that to attitude. And he's saying that that ought to create a disposition, a, a situation where you want to obey. It, interestingly enough, you know, because you would not know whether somebody without being, you would not know, obviously, just by looking at somebody, whether they had been circumcised or not, but you could tell through their life. That's what Moses is saying. They would have witnessed it through their life. 
And in the same way, you can't tell if someone's heart has been circumcised, but you witness it through their life. And, and Moses, um, he, Moses is saying, Israel, your, your problem is that you have magnified the physical ritual more than the spiritual significance behind the ritual. You, you, Israel, your history is you did the outwardly, but you never, you never saw that it was, it was a reference to something inwardly that was taking place. You missed the significance behind the ritual. The, the irony here is that the people that Israel are talking to, that, that Moses is speaking to, if you go ahead, we won't, to Joshua 5, this, this generation had not been circumcised. They had not been. And yet they followed the Lord obediently and loved the Lord and entered into the promised land. The previous generation that died in the wilderness had been circumcised, but guess what? They did not follow the Lord and they died. You see what Moses is showing them? It's a heart issue. The issue is not going through the motions. The issue is not doing all the outward right things. The issue is a heart. What God is after is a people that, that love the Lord. And going through the motions is not a worthy response to God. That's what he's saying. You can go through the motions, but that's not a worthy response to God. It's to be from the heart. And, and Israel was going to be asked by the covenant of God and with God to perform certain tasks. And these tasks would not directly relate to their own personal benefit. But it would represent the character of God, and that was the point. I, I, I'm telling you, if you ask John and Alicia Cordova, it, it's not for their own personal benef benefit that they bring children into their home to care for them. You ask the Hamptons. You ask Ken and Kimberly. You know what the benefit is? It's in representing your Heavenly Father. The benefit is in showing the character of your heavenly father, the benefit is being a blessing to someone else. And that's what they were having to get through their heads. Look, I'm going to ask you, the Lord is going to ask you to do things that you're not going to directly connect to your own personal benefit. The connection is the character of God. The connection is the gospel. The connection is I'm doing for others what I have already had done for me. That's the connection. I'm not doing this because I, I'm, I'm, good at it or I have all the answers or that because I have the best home in the world. I'm doing it because I was an orphan and God took me in. So I'm going to do it for others. And guess what? It would require faith. That would require, that is why pure in James 1 27, that is why he says caring for widows and orphans in their distress, pure religion. Why? Because they have nothing to offer you in return. An orphan coming in your home, nothing to offer you in return. They're not going to pay you back. You're not going to call them down the road and say, I'm in this bind financially. You remember when I watched you for, can you pay me back? No. You're doing it because God called you to do it and He's first did it for you. And that's the purest form of what God desires. Can't pay me back. Can we, because think about it, we can't pay God back. We can't pay Him back. To, to try to pay Him back for His grace would be utterly foolish. I can't. And yet He saved me. The connection is with God. The connection is with His character. The connection is with, with representing our Heavenly Father. Why did we go to the Dominican and serve it at Pasitos de, de Jesus? Why do we go to safe, 
save families. Why do we go to the Florida Sheriff's Youth Ranch? It's because of the character of our father. It's because we're a bunch of adopted people going to other boys and girls and sharing them the love that God has shown us first. It's about his character. And what happens is the world would look around and say, how in the world is Israel profiting? How are, how are they being blessed by something that seemingly has no connection to their well-being? The answer is our Father. The answer is God. The answer is the gospel. Why would you interrupt your life and do this? Because the gospel. Why, why would you do the gospel? That's the answer. Because it represents the character of my Father. And what Moses is saying is, you respond with a heart. The emphasis on externals not backed up with the heart, that's, that's, you know, even today, church membership, baptism, confirmation. Oh, I participated in the Lord's Supper, I went to camp. Eh. Meaningless. If your heart has not received the gospel, has not been circumcised by Jesus Christ and received Him in and forgiven of your sins, that is meaningless, worthless. I'm not saying you shouldn't come to God. I mean, come to church and read the Bible. I'm saying you ought to do that as a response to grace, not trying to buy His grace. He will not be bought. Look what he says here. He says, even in chapter 10, he says, he, God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. Stop trying to bribe God with your attendance. Stop trying to bribe God with your good works. He's not hearing it. Apart from a heart that loves Him, He's not hearing it. You're not going to bribe Him. You're not going to twist His arm to be good for you. You're not going to twist His arm through your giving to make your washing machine not break. He doesn't take bribes. He doesn't show partiality. What He wants is a people that love Him from the heart and they respond to grace. Why? Because that's what they've received from Him. Next, and we won't read it in verses 21 through verse 10:21 through 11:7, we obey because we have seen God's faithfulness in the past. Israel says time, I mean Moses says time and time again, 11:1, 1, you shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep his charges, his statutes, his ordinances and his commandments. Why? Because of what he's done. And you know what Moses does? He goes on to list myriad after myriad of grace that God had shown Israel. He says, he says, the Lord did, the Lord did, the Lord did, the Lord did. Many over and over and over again. The whole letter of Deuteronomy is a reminder of God's faithfulness. And their obedience and their loyalty was, was a response to God's loyalty and faithfulness first. And for us, it's the same. Why do I want to be loyal to God? Because of the cross. I'm looking back at the cross it purchased my salvation, it guarantees my salvation, and so I look forward to the future. I'm not trying to pay him back, I'm not trying to manipulate, I'm looking back and say, that is a done deal. You put your son on the cross, all right, let's go. Let's go. And I'm loyal. I want to be loyal. I'm not oftentimes, but I want to be. And my life and your life ought to be marked by one thing, faithfulness to our Lord. Why? Because he's been faithful to us in the past. But not only in the past, we obey God because He's been faithful. He will be faithful in the future. And that's what Moses says in, in 11.8 through verse 25. Look, he says again, you, verse 7, You've seen the great work that the Lord has done. 
Look what he says next in verse 8. You shall therefore keep every commandment which I am commanding you today so that you may be strong and go in and possess the land. The, high, the theme of eight, verse 8 verse through 25 is the land. The land was the fulfillment of, all, of so many of God's promises. It was the land. The emphasis on the land. In the future, God is going to put you in the land. You're headed towards the land. Look at verse, and, and even in the land, what God has done so masterfully is put them in a land where they would continue to have to depend on God. Look at verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12. For the land in which you are entering to possess is not like the land of Egypt which you came, where you used to sow your seed and water it with your foot like a vegetable garden. But the land into which you are about to cross to possess, a land of hills and valleys, drinks and water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares, the eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning to the end. God is saying, look, when you go into that land, you're still going to have to be dependent on me. You see, in Egypt, they had irrigation. And irrigation would take water from the Nile River and irrigation would water their crops. You know what God's saying? The land I'm taking you into, you're not going to trust in irrigation. You're going to have to trust in me. You're not going to be able to trust in all these earthly things and live however you want to live. But guess what? The Nile River just waters my plants. No, no, no. You obey me and you follow me and I'll send rain and I'll grow your crops. But you're going to have to rely on me. Same thing for us. You're going to have to rely on God. He says, when you're in the land, just like getting into the land, you're going to have to rely on me. And the problem was not with God. It never is with God. It was with their heart. What he's getting to is the heart. And he's building in safeguards to keep them reliant. Why? Because he told us long ago in chapter 6, when you get into that land and you have cisterns you did not dig and homes you did not build and, think, and houses full of stuff that you did not fill them with, you're going to forget it was the Lord your God who brought you into this land. And God is putting safeguards in their lives to say, don't forget it's me who brought you into the land. I'm the one who's done this, not you. He is helping them stay loyal. Part of the reason we gather here each weekly, each weekly, each week to study God's word is to remind us to stay loyal. Do not forsake this assembling, Hebrews 10 says together, but encourage one another so long as it encourage one another to stay loyal. They needed new hearts again. And Moses says, in verse 18 and following, he says almost exactly what he told him in, in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy with writing the word everywhere and all that. And, he, and here's what I was reminded of. You, you can put phylacteries all over the place. You can write verses all over your house. You can write verses all over your heart, all over your head, all over your body. But if your heart isn't toward God, those things are worthless. Worthless. You see, what Moses is telling them and what he's telling us is this. It's much easier to wear a cross around your neck than it is to bear a cross on a daily basis. It's much easier for you to nail a nail on a wall and hang a cross in your house and then just live however you want to live. That's what Moses is saying here. He's saying, don't do that. It's much easier to hang scriptures all over your house than it is to hide the word of God in your heart. And that's our tendency. It's to hang scriptures on our house and think we've done our duty and then live how we want to live. To, to wear a cross or to hang a cross in our house and then live and raise our family and treat them however we want to live. 
And Moses is saying, don't do that. You're robbing yourself of the blessing. He's saying, your citizenship is not in this world. Guess what he tells us in Philippians 3.20 and all over in the New Testament? Your citizenship is not of this world. You're a citizen of heaven. So you know what he's saying? He, he says, you don't live like the world lives. You live like God tells his people to live. You know what he tells us? You don't live like the world lives. You live like a citizen of heaven lives. That's the whole point. We're, we're not of this world. We're not for this world. We're, to Im- we're here for the purpose of impacting this world. Israel was there. We saw it last week. was the purpose. Be a light to the nations around. Show the glory of God. Show the glory of God to the nations around you. Draw them to yourself. That's why they existed. That's why we exist. I mean, we're, we're meeting today after church with some people to kind of lobby and I, the plans for that adjacent building. And December 7th, I, I hope you'll be here. I, I'm going to present a plan to renovate that building. It's a big ask. For a church of this size, it's a big ask. It's a big deal. It's going to take sacrifice. Pastor Ken asked me Friday, I was with him, he says, what do you think? I said, we'll find out real quick where we are as a church. We'll find out real quick. We're going to throw it out there December 7th just to show you, hey, here's what it's going to take to renovate that building. We've been working and working. Ray Reary has done most of the heavy lifting on that to put together plans to say, hey, if we want to disciple the next generation, there's about 20,000 homes that are going to be built, planned to be built on this road right up here, 54. Will we be ready for them? We can't even hardly house the kids we have here now. Our student ministry, they meet in a different room every week. They're like, it's like recreating a wandering in the wilderness. You know, I feel like there needs to be a, a pillar of fire, a cloud above us or something. It's like, where are we going to meet this week? And guess what? I, two weeks ago, I was sitting out there on Wednesday night, and I was playing with them And before they go in to study the Word, and I thought, you know what? A year and a half, two years ago, there was about 10 kids here, 10 middle school, high school students. Now there's almost 40. That has nothing to do with me. Chris and Sarah Thayer, Heidi and Daniel, the Raries, Debbie, Tharp, the rest of their leaders, and if I'm forgiven, you probably better off you get a reward in heaven instead of having your name named. They've been very faithful for nothing. Paid them nothing. Almost three years, they have received not a dime for serving those kids. They did it all out of the heart. We're responders to grace, not only in the past, but we're trusting God. The same grace that has always been in our past is still going to be there in our future. Still going to be in our future. Responders. But not only that, we obey because God disciplines our disobedience. Hear me. God will discipline our disobedience. And that's what He says in verses 26 and 32. For the sake of time, I'm just going to read the verse 26. It pretty much sums it up. See, chapter 11, 26. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today. And the curse, if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. To get to the application and to get... look. It is your choice. Do you want God's blessing or do you want His curse? 
there is coming a day where every single one of us are going to die. And even as a believer, hear me, why do we obey? Because even as a believer, you are going to give an account for how you stewarded God's grace. You can go to 1 Corinthians 3, and it says there's going to come a day where God will test every single one of, every single believer's works will be tested by fire. And he says, whatever is left, whatever doesn't burn up is what you're going to enter into with. And it's very clear in there in 1 Corinthians 3, he says some believers are going to enter with the smell of smoke on them. You know why? Because everything they did was burned up. Burned up. But they were saved. That's the faithfulness of God. What's going to be left? Relationship with Chloe? Promise you, not burned up. Relationship with Justin? Not burned up. Relationship with Mason, not burned up. Relationship with Zoe, not burned up. Leah, Haley, not burned up. Bottom line. Every single believer is going to be judged on what they did with the grace of God. Bottom line. You'll be saved if you're really saved but you're going to enter into eternity with the smell of smoke on you. And that's, that's the Bible. That's not me trying to play it up. Go to 1 Corinthians and read it. It's right along verse 15 or so. Burned up. Obedience. Future victories. Hear me. Our future victories depend upon our present decisions. Not only in your life individually, but us as a church. Will we pay the price? Do we care about the gospel enough to sacrifice so that more people can be trained up in the gospel and grow up? We'll find out. Because obedience equals blessing and disobedience equals curse. Bottom line. Bottom line. So, so what does all this mean for us, real quick? What does all this mean for us? We have an idea that, that Old Testament worship and New Testament worship was different. Notice what Moses, notice what we never read. You can go back and read every verse for yourself if you don't trust me. Moses doesn't mention worship or sacrifice, or he does not mention sacrifice here with regards to worship one time of an animal. He doesn't mention it. He doesn't mention one ritual, one feast. He doesn't mention one thing with regards to worship. You know what he mentions? Is? You know what he mentions? Is? You know what he mentions? Giving your life. You know, he mentions loyalty. You know, he mentions faithfulness. Worship was never, Old Testament or New Testament, worship was never meant to be the mere performance of rituals. It was never meant to be going through the motions. It was never meant to focus on the outward rather than the inward. It was fearing the Lord. It was out of fear of the Lord walking in His ways, out of a love for Him with our whole hearts. Again, Moses doesn't mention sacrifice one time here when he's talking about worship. He does not mention sacrifice of an animal one time. The emphasis on was on obedience that overflows out of a love for God. That is worship. And Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's the same thing. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world any longer, but be, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect and acceptable. 
It's a life. It's a, worship is how we live our everyday lives. It's loyalty and devotion to the Lord. It's responding to God's grace. And that is all throughout. 1 Samuel 15, he says, To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. Amos 5, 21, The practice of righteousness and justice take precedence over all the, the, the feastings and all the festivals. Hosea 6, 6, God finds greater delight in mercy and a personal relationship than He does sacrifices. That's what it says. Micah 6, 8, What does the Lord require of thee but to pursue justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? The theme is throughout. Jeremiah 7, He desires transformed living more than attendance in the house of God if the heart is not in it. That's what He says in Jeremiah 7. It's a heart issue. Matthew 23, 23, you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but guess what? You neglect the weightier matters of the law. You know why? You're neglecting the orphan, the widow, and the love your neighbor, love God, all that you're neglecting. You tithe, you give, but notice what he says. Those aren't the weightier matters of the law. Our Lord is Lord over all. He is sovereign over all. The focus is on God. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this. What does the Lord ask of us? That's the question. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. What does the Lord ask of us? The question is not, what do the unchurched ask of us? It's not even, what do we ask of ourselves? We're not sovereign. The question is, what does God require of us? What does He ask? We, we exist to magnify the Lord. We, we exist to do His will. And you know what His will is? Advance His kingdom. His will is that you would be saved, that you would be sanctified, that, you, that is, you grow up in your salvation, and that you be serving, that is, serving the body of Christ and serving the, unlaw, the unsaved with the gospel. It's real simple. Saved, sanctified, serving. Simple. But it will not happen until we have a love for God. What glorifies the Lord? What does the Lord desire of us? And we have to continually remind ourselves of this fact that unless, hear me, unless we're walking in the ways of the Lord during the rest of the week, what we do here does not matter. Unless the other six days we're desiring to be loyal and walk with the Lord, what we do here does not matter if that's not the case. It does not magnify, it does not impress God. He desires a heart. And what matters most is loving the Lord with our whole hearts, recognizing that we are servants of the one true God, that He is our sovereign, that He loves us, and that we are to obey Him for our good and His glory. God desires a life of devotion, not mere externals. A life of devotion. He desires to be loved more than anything else, and He demands it. Is there grace when we fall short? Hear me. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that we don't seek to obey. It doesn't mean that we don't seek to pursue it. And we cannot claim to belong to God and then live however we want and and make a claim otherwise. Bottom line. Go to Galatians 5. Paul makes that very clear. True faith is demonstrated in a transformed life. 
Now, all of us are at different spots in that. All of us are at different levels of maturity. You can go to 1 Corinthians 3, Hebrews 5. Look, are you pursuing the Lord? That's the question. How have you responded to grace? Are you pursuing the Lord out of the grace that God has given? And I'm asking us to be a church that freely gives what we have freely received. That we would be a church that freely gives simply what we have freely given. What we have been, what we have been freely given. And in doing so, God will be honored. He'll be glorified.